What's up? My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, martial artist, father, surfer, retired MMA fighter, and Kaju Kembo instructor. And you're watching or listening to the SGWA podcast broadcasted from Kasai City, Japan. What's up? Welcome to Social Jello with Angelo. I'm here with uh, Tom McGrath, and I normally intro my guests before the show. It's like a two or three second clip, but Tom McGrath comes from Primal Radio. If you haven't checked out that podcast, I really recommend you do. And in honor of Tom, I have set up an introduction for him based on something I found on a website. So here we go. Tom McGrath is the co-host of Primal Radio. Um, since 2007, he's traveled the globe to train. That's <laughs> I'm so glad I'm doing it. See, like in honor of Tom, I'm, I'm I think I'm doing a really good job here. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's my own, that's literally a typo. I, I, I didn't do that deliberately, but it's 2017 we started doing that. 2017, yeah. okay, so. We're off to a glorious start. Since 2017, <laughs> he has traveled the globe to train with the world's best martial artists. Um, he's trained with Jim McCain, who is the host of Primal Radio. Again, I do encourage you to check him out. For all my Kaju Kimbo followers, this is how I found Tom. Um, I was looking for a Kaju Kimbo podcast because I started getting into the Kaju Kimbo side for my podcast. And his podcast came up with, uh, with an interview with Hackleman. And um, Tom has trained with John McCain since 2009, if this, if this information is okay. His credentials, he's an associate instructor of JKD and an instructor in second degree black belt in JKD Lungland and black belt in rapid harness. So, Tom. <laughs> and I normally, I normally don't do any of that. This all has to do. Please listen to Primal Radio. You'll you'll kind of get in a, a little bit on this inside joke that's going on. But Tom, thank you so much for being on the show. It's it's a pleasure. This is like the first time I've ever been on this side of the mic, um, which is slightly unnerving but also quite exciting. Nice. Um, nice. I, I'm happy to be here. I've listened to three of your shows, which I, I was referring to before um, b before we came on. One of the things I find challenging about podcasts is you've got this you know like app store worth of podcasts and it's, it's gr the great thing is everyone in the world can now produce their own content if they wish e every single person in the world could have a podcast it's real easy to do the bad thing is finding them so I wasn't aware of your podcast and you you've messaged through our website which frankly no one ever looks at <laughs> and, and it's full of typos as you've just pointed out and um, so I listened to three of your shows just to kind of decide whether I'd bother to reply to you, whether I'd enjoy them, whether we might be on the same page. <laughs> so I listened to number five, where you were talking about um, martial arts and, you know, your journey there. And you made a real good point at the end about your obligation as a black belt to kind of continue to train and push forwards. And I, and I had to challenge myself on whether I've done that. And, and the answer is I, I probably haven't. And then I listened to one on 
prostitution and feminism. (laughs) I just couldn't help but be drawn to it. And then I listened to John Hackleman's show, uh, which was kind of a comparison to see how your interview compared to our interview. It's kind of like, you know, comparing dick sizes, basically. um, (laughs) I enjoyed them enough to reply, and here we are. (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, I'm really glad you checked out that prostitution and feminism one. That was... (laughs) That was that was something else. <laughs> that, that was a really interesting episode. And, and one of the things that got me about it was, was not the purpose of the show, but you were talking about privilege. And it's, that is a real interesting topic. And I have to say, as a white, straight male, et cetera, et cetera, privilege is something that I'm not always conscious of. And I'd seen a video where someone, in order to illustrate it, they got a load of people to line up and he'd say like step forward if your parents are both together step forward if you had you were able to pay for your own university step forward if you etc 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 and you by the time he'd finished his his list some people in this race uh were significantly ahead they had a big head start in in this race or, or virtual race of life and i found that as a as a very interesting concept Yet, I still find it very hard to think of myself as being privileged. Yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's a really, it's a, it's a, it's a, and I know we're about to go into, okay, side quest. I love this though, right? <laughs> side quest. We are going to talk about martial arts. Don't worry. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's interesting that, you know, it's funny because like when I was doing my, uh, when I was doing my bachelor's work for my, for my degree in psychology, they had us do the same exercise. It was part of the diversity training, if you will. And I think one of the roughest parts about it is it's one thing to use it as a tool in psychology just to get people to empathize with people that don't have the same starting point. It's another thing to grab it and use it as a political tool to make people feel guilty. And I think that's that's where we see a big issue um, on social media and everywhere else is this idea where Okay, we do this. And I, I think um, the per- there was a director that had a really good point. She said, this is not the oppression Olympics. Like when you do that and you line everybody up and some people are here, and some people are there. This isn't about an oppression Olympics. I was more oppressed. Therefore, you know, this is where I'm at. And I think that was, I think that's what I walked away from. Like, okay, yeah, we have different starting points, but it doesn't necessarily, you'd be surprised um, who you think is quote unquote privileged, but you do that exercise and it turns out they're actually really close or maybe you're actually at a different point, right? Because you might base this on, it's based on different categories, not just race, right? It's also based on class too. So like- that, I heard once someone say that an argument, any argument that you have is all about convincing the other person that you are the biggest victim. <laughs> and- I think like when you talk about the oppression Olympics, you know, that is effectively what, what, what a lot of people want to do. And what, you know, and what do you, what do you do? What do, do you, do you apologize for something that happened hundreds of years ago? Um, I, you know, what, what's, what's the response and how do you, if, if you train yourself to always refer back to this list of things that you, your, um, that are missing from your life uh, or, or, 
or, or if you sorry if, if, hopefully you edit this up so if i'm talking it rambling um, no no you're not you're doing great unless you want me to edit it out i, I like everything so yeah far. i mean please please do when i'm doing these kind of bits i've become no, no. very conscious of the way i talk from doing the podcast and editing not at all um yeah if, if you're always going to refer back to these these various like uh victimization things or how do you get beyond that and and how do you become the kind of person that uh accepts those challenges and and fights on in the face of them you know i, I love um boris gump as a movie you know he that guy's got a lot of challenges and he keeps pushing beyond them continuously always yeah. gets me that <laughs> yeah that's it's and again right that's what martial arts is all about is being in a situation where shit has hit the fan in the worst way but still turning it around and surviving right getting through it through through the right tools and the right techniques and the right practice and i think that's where um I mean, that, that's what i felt was uh was liberating right we always say that in martial arts don't be a victim don't be a victim that's what we always say if you're if you're Step number one, if, you, if you're walking down the street and you see that dark alley, don't go down that dark alley. Don't put yourself in a situation where you can become the victim, right? And if you do end up in, in other, I said that you use your tools that you can to try to get out of it. And I think that's what, um, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's what I think is interesting about like kind of combining the two concepts, if you will. Yeah, my martial arts instructs massively into the, um, the mental side of martial arts. And it's a side that I have, I guess, a partial interest in, but the, the growth, the direction of travel with martial arts is you start out at the physical and you end up at the mental, or if you're in the Tai Chi world, you go the other way round. So you start, uh, yeah, um, and, and there is apparently, I've never seen it, but a very high level of Tai Chi where you're an excellent fighter physically. Um, but I do think, when you get to the higher levels of martial arts, it it transcends your life and it becomes a lifestyle. And I don't want to sound like a sort of guru by saying that. And and and, but but, but yeah, that that is something that is an ex that is an experiential thing. You you it does become such a big part of your life. Yeah, and it is. I mean, and it doesn't matter what martial art you're talking about. So you know, it can be a hard style like boxing. Once you decide to take that dedication to say that. Hey, I'm gonna do this. And I'm gonna do this well. And if I'm gonna go pro, I mean, I'm not a pro boxer, but still, the, the dedication it takes to become a professional boxer, you can't be fucking around. Like, <laughs> it, it eliminates it eliminates fucking around. Like, if you if you were gonna kind of dabble, you can't dabble in the professional boxing world. You can't be going out, staying out late all night, partying all night, and then try to get back in the ring and spar the next day. You're gonna get creamed. So, like. There's certain things that happen, doesn't matter what the martial art is, where you kind of have, there's this mix that happens between your personal life and your martial arts life. And you're, if you're really dedicated in your martial arts, it's going to bleed into your personal life and it's going to change how you, your, you know, what you, your decisions, your decision process and how you live yeah. your life. Yeah. So, yeah. Tom, we're on talk. Now we're kind of back on the journey. <laughs> we're back on the journey. Yeah. As you can tell from the zero questions I sent you, um <laughs> so in your journey how did this start what how did you get into martial arts well, i don't have a great origin story but I'm, i'll tell it anyway uh so 
my brother was into martial arts to a certain extent. So he, he had an obsession with the Far East, in particular Japan. And he did some martial arts. I think he did karate. It may have been Taekwondo. But I was literally off put by the fact he'd be in like, you know, a white gi and, you know, wearing like the, these colourful belts. Um, and, and I was at that stage where anything my brother did, I didn't particularly like and anything... <laughs> You know, I, I did, he probably didn't particularly like, but we had like th this obsession. There, there was like a local Japanese supermarket um, or, or might have been Oriental, but I, I remember it being Japanese and it had like a Sega world and things like that, which is quite a rare thing in the UK because we don't have a massive Japanese community. Um, I don't think it's in operation anymore, but and, and my brother would learn Japanese and he ended up going to Japan as you've done. He took, mm -hmm. taught, taught English for two years over there, came back did a master's in, in Japanese. And he was on this tiny island near Hiroshima. I had like 2000 people. Everyone was Japanese. It's called, it's called Akina, but there's no way, like even in Japan, people didn't know it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And because he was on this little island with, where everyone was Japanese, if he didn't learn the language, he would have had a really bad time. So, you know, he really had to get stuck in to make the most of his time out there. Um, so that, I guess, that was my early thoughts on, on martial arts stuff. And, and I, I was far more drawn to something like boxing. I, I was massively in sort of eighties action movies and TV shows. Yeah, Saturday afternoon would be things like the A-Team, Airwolf, Knight Rider, all these kind of American shows with like your classic hero. And then I loved all the films with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it or Bruce Willis or whoever else. Um, but that was my sort of eighties childhood. Um, fast forward to my mid twenties, um, and I've still never done anything, you know, in that context. And there was just a free class at my local gym, so I, I was going to this relatively basic underground gym, um, Fitness First, in, in in the centre of London, which was right outside my office at the time. And there was an advert for a free class um, studying Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do. Now, I was aware of Bruce Lee just like everyone else is in the world, but not so much as a fan, not particularly aware of what he did and how influential he was. You know, for me, it was like kind of out of date movies, you know, 1970s movies when I'm in the 2000s. But through doing the martial art, I came to kind of respect him a lot more. And I think because JKD wasn't, like the karate and the traditional martial arts that my brother had done, it was, you know, we'd wear a black t-shirt. We, uh, there was no like catters. We, we eventually, after some time, we introduced bow, bowing in and we started referring to uh, my instructor, Lack, as Sifu. But those took a while to come in. Like initially we didn't have them and I think we saw the benefit of having those um, uh, traditions. And very quickly, I was like, why haven't I been doing this for longer? Like, I, I really enjoyed it. And, and there was a, a natural organic growth. So my instructor, it was his first ever class in teaching in London. So he'd been teaching up in Leicester um, in a kind of, I guess, assistant or um, apprentice instructor sort of capacity. So he'd come down to London. So we started with one class a week. We went to two classes a week. We kind of set up a backyard group. So we'd go and like kind of fight in the park and do, do a bit of extra training. 
then Lack would start bringing over these instructors from America. Then I'd start going to America and training with these guys. And through doing that, I'd meet people from other places in the world. So, so I've got a very good friend in Belgium, for example. I visited him. I mean, the last time I was counting, it's about 15 times I've been to Belgium um, just to go over and train with him. It's, it's actually, actually real easy to do. Um, when I first went there, I thought no one would speak English and <laughs> everyone did. So uh, real easy to kind of operate over there. And then after a gradual period of time, I saw skill gaps from doing JKD versus what my kind of um, peers had. So I'd go and train in America and you know, people would have weapon skills, ground fighting skills, locking skills. And all I was really learning with the JKD was like punching and kicking and touching upon these other subjects. So I took up a, a kind of five-year instructor program with Rapid Arnis. There's, there's a bit more of a story to this, and I'll, I might delve into that in a little bit. But um, by the time I'd finished that uh, five-year instructor program, which was April 2019, you know, I've been doing martial arts for like, uh, uh, you know, 13 years or so. And through not, I, I'm not going to say through like gigantic dedication, this, that, and the other, I'd say with anything in life, 80% of success is showing up. I can't, I can't remember who said that, but um, I, you know, I, I had that dedication to keep, just to keep going. Um, and, and I guess put in those extra hours, it wasn't like I was an exceptionally gifted athlete or um, a natural at these things. Some, some things took me a real lo long time to get. Um, I had a base of, of kind of physical presence from doing, um, doing things like football, soccer. But uh, yeah, I, I just, you know, I love the social side of it. I love the sort of self-improvement side of it. And, and, and it was just a natural growth in that direction. And then, um, all right. So I got have a few notes here. 80% is showing up. Woody Allen once said that 80% of success is showing up. Um, so there's our quote there. And um, my question, I can go on a whole rant about Woody Allen, but I'm not going to. How old were you when you started? How old were you when you started? When did this start? I'm going to put myself about 25. So I'm 39 now. Oh, wow. So you started You started as a man. You were a man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. You were, so you started at 25 at a JKD place. Yeah, I mean, if I'm listening correctly. That's right. It, it, was, it was a regular gym. And I, I think a lot of people, they certainly then this is going back a little bit but they was they would study a traditional martial art in some way find it ineffective or lacking something they needed and then move to jkd oh. and i've done the opposite so i i started with jkd which i think is a rarity um and and what tim tackett would say is that you know jkd um you, it gives you a lens to view other martial arts through so because you're um, learning a principles-based martial art. And, and for, for those that don't know what that means, that effectively, rather than doing an endless list of techniques or a, re a response um, to a technique, you would uh, instead learn a principle. And that principle um, informs the way you respond to everything. So closest weapon to the nearest target would be one of our principles. So the idea that if I'm doing an entrance strike, so my first strike would be thrown off um, my lead tool. 
So rather than, I would throw a jab, for example, rather than throwing a cross as my first strike, because that distance and therefore less time means I'm more likely to land that strike. So you, you just, you, if, if I was like doing Kajakempo or anything else, I would then, um, I, I would assess that uh, martial art versus this list of principles in my head. I know you've done JKD, but I'm sort of spelling <laughs> it out. For but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a really big disclaimer. I have not officially done JKD. I've trained with JKD practitioners, which is why right. my, um, I've been told by JKD guys when I've worked with them, they've wondered if I came from, and I did. I mean. Well, it's not about my story, but I will say that uh, before I got into martial arts, it was Bruce Lee's was a big influence, but there was no JKD where I was. So I picked You're up a California, book. right? Yeah, I was in California, but yeah, where I, I was, I was um, where, where I was in the town I lived in. I was 12 years old. I just got jumped. Um, I was looking for something here and now. And in the, the place I was at did not offer JKD and my parents didn't want me doing martial arts. So I picked up uh, the Tao of Jeet Kune Do, started reading through the principles. At the time, I thought boxing was the best. I did a lot of boxing on my own because I wasn't allowed to train. So, I, But I was getting jumped by gang members. So I had to figure something out. And uh, me and my cousin, and my cousin was big on the books. He was the one who, was, who introduced to me the Tao of Jeet Kune Do. And he now works with, uh, I believe, people from the Wednesday group. But back yeah. then it was just me and him fucking around uh with books judo books taoji kundo and i didn't get into kaju kimbo till way later by the time i came in i already could take care of myself because that was the point was to take care of myself and then i entered kaju kimbo so it was, it was why it's, are your parents against you doing martial arts my well they were poor <laughs> they couldn't <laughs> afford it <laughs> so one was money and then the second one, uh, my mother, my mother was a Jehovah's Witness, or is, she's still alive. And um, she was totally against anything that had to do with violence. So she pretty much, her philosophy was she wanted me to just let them jump me, I guess, until they got tired of beating me up. And I, that wasn't exactly my, <laughs> that was, and then, but my dad, on the other hand, um, he took me to the side. He's like, hey, let me show you some basics. He was, you know, they're both Puerto Rican. Um, my dad being brought up in Puerto Rico, a lot of fighting going on. So he was just like, hey, here's how you throw a jab. Here's how you throw a straight. Here's just some really rudimentary. If a guy comes, you can punch him in the nuts and just really <laughs> straightforward. No, no, it wasn't self-defense. He never did any type of training at all. It was just stuff that he picked up from defending himself in Puerto Rico. So I grabbed that, applied it. And then um, I thought boxing was the best until my cousin who read uh, Jeet Kune Do books was like, let's spar. Uh, and I was like, all right, let's spar. And I, and I was like, all right, so we, we put the gloves on. And um, he had what I thought were the funny, you know how back in the back in the 90s, they had those funny looking boots. They still use them in point sparring and karate, but they had those funny looking boots, right? And I'm like, what the fuck are you wearing moon boots for, bro? Like, <laughs> I thought you said we're going to spar. Like, he's like, this is so when I kick you, you don't get hurt. And I'm like, oh, whatever. So like we came in, I came in for a jab straight and he popped me with, uh, with a cross-step sidekick. And I didn't even see it coming. And I was like, maybe there's something going on with this karate shit. Cause I, that's, that's what I was thinking at the time. So yeah, that was like maybe 13, 14. And that's when I started thinking that, um, that there should be more that I should do more. And that's when I started like reading the books and stuff. But yeah, that's my dis, my disclaimer about JKD. And so you mentioned that you were 
25 when you started. You started with JKD. And then you've mentioned this before, Rapid Arnis. Is that, am I saying that correctly? Yeah, so, so um, with, with Filipino martial arts, um, which people call FMA, um, you've, there's three words commonly used. So um, a screamer, or to be an escrimador is the old word. And, and these all essentially mean the stick fighting, you know, stick and knife that you see from originating out of the Philippines. Kali, which is the commonly used American word, which um, it's not say it is American, it's just most commonly used in America. So, so Guru Dan would be using that. Um, and then Arnis, uh, which, which I might may sometimes say is Arnis, but apparently should be pronounced Arnis, is what's most widely used in the Philippines oh. and um, we use for our group. Uh, Rapid Arnis is just a, you know, it, it's the term and the branding. I, th I think it was to illustrate that, you know, they're, they're trying to be fast and aggressive really. But um, Pat O'Malley uh, created Rapid Arnis. So in London is, I guess the most famous martial artist maybe in the UK is a guy called Bob Breen. Um, and he is based very near me in Hackney. Um, I, I've only actually ever trained with him once. And, and the reason for that is primarily, I guess it's loyalty to my instructor in, in JKD. And the, uh, you know, the, Bob Breen's group train on the same days as we do. And, you know, I, I'm aligned to this Wednesday night group, but, you know, uh, Bob Breen's an incredibly credible um, an excellent martial artist and really does teach some fantastic stuff, you know, follow everything that he does, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so Bob had a martial arts school probably when they weren't very common, you know, going back to like, probably, he probably had it in like seventies or eighties and he was like a karate champion. And he was the first person to bring Dan Inosanto over to the UK and therefore ha has a reputation for JK, JKD and Carly does some excellent boxing stuff. Um, 4D combat is his system at the moment, um, which is a kind of uh, just a branding thing over those various um, martial, uh, martial techniques that he teaches. So Pat was kind of like running his gym for him. Pat, uh, I, I think then you know, spawned off to do his own thing and, and to focus on the martial arts, uh, on the uh, Arnis. So he'd basically gone over to the Philippines numerous times to train with every grandmaster, which is quite a, uh, a, you know, a real adventure. Going over in like, say, the 80s to train with these guys, you maybe wouldn't have had quite the infrastructure that you have now over there. And you're kind of trying to work out from all these different people what the common threads are, what makes their system unique. Um, much like karate, I suppose, that there's the Arnis sort of it branches out from the different islands. So it's, it's evolved into these different systems. Um, some of it might be, say, say Balintawak, for example, which is kind of symbolized by a bull, is there's a Balintawak street, which is really narrow, um, re really narrow alley essentially and therefore you couldn't swing a big stick in quite the same way so they had like a uh, if you think of the horns of the bull you're kind of you know dropping your weight into your opponent and etc so Pat was going around training all of these guys and then 
you know, brought that into his own system, which has gone through a lot of iterations over the years. Pat was like, he was a three-time world champion fighting over there. And in those days, the um, Team GB used to send out very competitive, strong teams. And essentially, no one could beat him. So they, he was actually asked um, to no longer compete and to be like a coach because it was he was just going to keep winning tournaments over and over again. And it, 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 that felt, felt like it probably wasn't the right, uh, the right answer. He was um, very uh, OCD about his training. I don't, I don't mean to interrupt. What was he competing in? So, so this, this was, um, so this was Ar Arnis or, or a screamer. Um, the, the competition format is essentially it's a live stick and you're wearing body armor and, uh it's it's scored by judges um you know best best of three rounds essentially um you can you can get a draw uh you know you you'll get you'll get whacked a lot and it, it's making good clean hits um that's that's essentially what where you win your points and good defense etc it's same sort of kind of system as boxing i think they score it on a like sort of 10 9 per round but i might be wrong so it's pretty much um, the you uh, you're wearing body armor, kind of like kendo armor, if, if I'm not mistaken. Um, like with the, with the you got the king. Not 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 too dissimilar, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And like, then like uh, the way. and then and you sit there and you you whack each other with sticks. Yeah. Just a, <laughs> a general principle for people that might might be listening or you know don't have any idea how this works. You're whacking each other with sticks. Uh, clean hits count up. Uh, boxing style is points. Is there a knockout? Um, yeah, there may be. So you can still you can still punch someone. As I say, they've got this helmet on. You can still punch them in their um, in the grill, so to speak. Uh, yeah, uh, um, yeah. Basically, yeah. Okay. Can you can you kick? Is there is there kicking? Yeah, you can do anything you want. Okay. So there's is there submissions? Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It would be, yeah. Yeah. How much is yeah, there? It, it, it's, I'll, I'll be straight and say it's a format that I've not fought in that much. Yeah, just to get a general idea of what he was asked to no longer compete, and that's what I'm trying to try to clear. Yeah. He, he was he was asked to never you know to stop competing because he kept winning. And I'm just trying to get an idea for people that don't understand um, that art and how they work. Um, and, and, and again, every. As you know, with tournaments, every rule rules change according to referees. But, <laughs> but again, um, just for a basic, uh, there's striking, there's grappling. How much ground time do they have? So, you you would only go to ground if you were taken to ground, or if you took someone down down to the ground, and you know you would be seeking that submission. I mean, what you're being judged on your ability to fight with weapons. They okay. don't particularly want to see you rolling around you know, I suppose, trying to stab or, or hit someone on the ground. Okay. It, it's advantageous to be, you know, standing up. It's a, it, it's mainly a stand-up art. Okay. And that, that's all I want to clear up. Like, it's not like MMA with sticks. That's, <laughs> it's, not like yeah. the, it's, it's not like MMA with sticks. You can't, like, double-leg someone to the ground and then start working a choke or something like that. They're, they're, right. they're, look, they're looking more at them standing. and But they do allow submissions and they do allow the takedown. But the, the, the emphasis is, is stand-up. Yeah. So, the reason I'm being inarticulate is because that is a format that I haven't experienced that much. So yeah. when, when I'm learning 
honest, we don't focus on these kind of tournament competitions and they can be a bit flowery and a bit like, you know, you're tapping someone a million times, but that person's still coming forwards because the body armor's protecting them. Um, so it, it's, it's not a format that necessarily we feel is like a, a realistic um, reflection of what fighting might be with weapons. Are you talking, uh, are you talking shit, Tom? there's it's it's the national sport of the philippines although a lot of filipinos don't really realize that i mean they love basketball out out there for yeah they don't they don't that was that was one of my shocks was i had a filipino student come out here um that i train in kobe and um and i asked him you know he was doing kajikembo and he, he wanted to do mma He's, he still wants to do MMA and he's had a few fights, but he, I asked him like, Hey, have you ever heard of a screamer? He's like, no. Have you ever heard of FMA? He's like, no. Uh, maybe I'm using the wrong word. Have you heard of Kali? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> like, All yeah. right. What martial arts have you heard of in the Philippines? And he's like, boxing? Like that's you know, your, your basic boxing, like Muay Thai, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And I was really kind of surprised that he never heard of it. And then when I, when I looked into it, I guess it's, I guess the families are very protective of the FMA in the, the, the FMA practitioners in the Philippines are very protective of the art, I guess. And they don't exactly. Yeah. So the, the history of it was the Spanish invaded um, the Philippines and, and ruled there for something stupid, like 300 years. Uh, the Filipinos in order to continue to practice their weapon fighting skills and, you know, to give them that potential to have, you know, for an uprising, um, would perform these kind of dances with sticks. And the way they were moving the sticks was, of course, the same way that they would, they would move a machete. Um, so the stick became a sort of training format uh, for continuing to maintain their martial arts. Now, some of that has died down a little bit in terms of uh, the introduction of, introduction of guns. So you, um, there, there is it's quite easy as I understand it in the Philippines to hire someone to go and kill someone else. So you will have these sort of assassins knocking around who, you know, whether it's with a knife or with a gun will happily go and go and kill someone. Um, Dossi Perez HQ, which is where we were training, I believe um, Juni Cagnetti, who we, I interviewed while I was over there, who's kind of like the, the current head of that system. He, adapted uh he created the body armor and the, and the tournament format such that it could be taught in schools so such that this bit of history um wasn't lost uh so, so that, that's where the tournament stuff comes from oh okay all right yeah i saw a special on um i came across a video on facebook that talked about how they're trying to revive fma in the Philippines, and there was a whole documentary on that. So, if, if anybody's interested in that, I would look into it. So, it's probably bigger outside of the Philippines now. Yeah, that's right. That's that's kind of the. I mean, I don't know much about it, but that's the impression I'm getting from the from the martial artists that I do know. It seems to be like really big, more big outside the Philippines than actually in the Philippines. But back to you, <laughs> you, you, you got into this harness system. Um, when did you get into the sauna system? How old were you when you started doing that? So let me let me tell you my funny story of like how I really got into that, which I, I was going to say earlier on. So 
I'm doing my JKD uh, and I've, I've started going over to America to these camps and I've turned up three consecutive years to these camps and it's 2011. So I've done three days of pretty hardcore training. And at that time, the group, the Wednesday night group was really going strong. So we had like, you know, 100 people at uh, these seminars, you know, gigantic hall of everyone training pretty hard. Great associations with some really strong MMA clubs and things like that. So at the end, much to my surprise, I get called up and they say, right, we're giving you a... I think apprentice instructorship. It's like the lowest ranking instructorship they had. And I was really quite buzzing for, from that. Um, it, you know, made my weekend, so to speak. So I went back to the UK. I told my two best friends and I told my instructor. And I could tell in my instructor's voice that he wasn't comfortable with that. I, I, um, as in, you know, and, and with the benefit of hindsight, it's like, well, he he would want to give me an apprentice instructorship and you know there's a process and a reason that that the things happen this way so the usa which was very informal at the time and the uk which was like more formal and and jkd is typically informal but um what had this this sort of like gap um so his instructor then calls me up later that day and said look they shouldn't really have given you that uh, you haven't done enough hours. Um, and I kind of listened to all this and, and took it in and I was, but I, I was quite frustrated to hear this, to, put, to say the least. So for about three weeks after that, I was like, fuck JKD, this is bollocks. Like, and to be honest, then I remind myself, look, I'm not in this for certificates. I'm not in this for um, instructorships. I wasn't even looking to teach, but when they gave me that certificate, I was like, actually, you know, this maybe this is something I want to do. So I went back, I spoke to my instructor and we talked about doing the, the kind of gradings that we had in the UK to get to being instructor level such that that could be reinstated. So that, that was, you know, so I went back to normal sort of thing. Um, and then it gets to 2014 and nothing's happened, right? So this was 2011, 2014, I'm still, and to be honest, my progress, I was, I was training so much, like in terms of, I would go and train with other people and I was developing, but I felt that my training in London wasn't really going anywhere. Um, and as I say, I would meet these people around the rest of the world who had skills that I didn't have. And I'd met, in a knife defense seminar, I'd met Pat O'Malley and I'd been amazed by some of his skill. Um, kind of like the fast hands, the kind of the trapping, the locking. Um, really, yeah, I, I, was, I was pretty blown away. So I kept an eye out for his stuff and I saw this instructor program being advertised and I embarked on it and it was like, it was a big commitment. So it was one weekend a month for five years. But the idea was at the end of each year, you would be able to, so, so at the end of the first year, I'd be able to teach up to green, second year up to blue, third year up to brown, fourth year up to black and in the end of the fifth year I would be a full instructor so I could have abandoned it because taking on anything for five years is such a big commitment but whilst I had a little wobble at the end of that first year about whether I came back for the second year and I remember going up there and my skills had deteriorated because we'd had like a kind of big Christmas break and um and 
I was like, oh, what have I done signing up for this for another year? It's just it's such a big commitment. And I managed to get through that and I never looked back. Um, and, and it was, it was, you know, it improved me so much as a martial artist. I, I think that, you know, if, if I think when I initially took up JKD, that was a big boost. When I took up boxing, that really made my my movement in JKD so much better. And I think that is why when I went to that um when I got given that apprentice structureship in, in Miami, um, sorry, in, in, in Florida, that was a reflection of how well I was moving, which was mainly thanks to the boxing. And then I was training with these other people around the world. It wasn't consistent enough for me to continue to go up those levels. So starting that instructor program then gave me that other boost to get to the level that I'm at now, which I would say is, you know, a very good all-round fighter, except groundwork. So I can do all the takedowns, I can do all the locking, that sort of thing, but um, I'm not a great ground fighter. I can hold people off, but I can rarely submit them. Um, and that, that's, I, I, have, I guess I have a debate in my mind of do I take on a ground fighting art at 39 that, you know, could potentially give me injuries or do I continue, you know, do I just focus on the things I'm already good at and some of the occupational stuff that I'm taking on as well. Well, if I, I guess I have a few questions for you. So I have many, uh, but one of the questions I kind of, after listening to you talk, I guess I have some questions. This is okay. So you got into Arnis when you entered that other program. Is that? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. And then, from there, I have a lot. I have questions about JKD itself because I think like so. One of the things I always talk about about Kaju Kembo is about how each Kaju Kembo school has the liberty to do and teach what they want. And so once you get your once you become a Kaju Kembo instructor, there are no real rules. Like well, as long as you don't as long as you don't fuck with any of the other people, like <laughs> you can pretty much do whatever you want. Which is as you saw with Hackleman, he created his own. Hawaiian Kempo system that focused more on MMA and, and striking. And he got rid of all the kata. While some guys will go a completely different route. I'm going to add more kata and be all about Kung Fu and, and go get a, go get an instructor certificate in Kung Fu. And now people that I train can have a black belt in Kaja Kempo and a, and a uh, certificate in, in Wushu Kung Fu, which is something my instructor did. My instructor's instructor did. Um, in JKD, how does that work? Like one of my biggest, like, I'm puzzled because like I said, I've only, I've only read the books. I've only read Bruce Lee's books, but I never really went into a JKD school. And I remember something in there that said at one point, I think it's in the first few pages of the book. It said that he says that um, if you want to enter a Kuhn or Dojo, you can, but you don't have to. Right. And like his philosophy was more or less, you can enter a school, but you don't have to. And he also said that JKD is not a style. So it was a method. So like fast forward to now, JKD is a huge organization. Hopefully you don't get in trouble answering this question. <laughs> but but um, how does it work? Like you also mentioned belts. So like somewhere in there, there's, yeah. there's a belt system, I guess. How, how's that work? Yeah. So, so, right, so, so I, I personally think, right, everyone's biggest strengths are also often their biggest weaknesses. And, and I'll, I'll give that to certain systems as well. So 
with JKD in the Wednesday night group, it's something that evolved out of Tim Tackett's garage. Well, Dan in the Santos garage to Tim Tackett's garage. And it has an informal nature that, as I say, when I was kind of in my early days and kind of against traditional martial arts, and now I've grown where I'm a little bit more pro traditional martial arts, um, th that informality was great for me. Um, and then where I got frustrated with that is say, for example, when I was saying, look, I, I want to be an instructor now, you've taken this certificate away from me, fair enough. Now I want to go and earn that certificate. What do I have to do? And it just wasn't entirely clear. And there was a syllabus that was being used in the UK, but it was like, when, when, are, we, when are we focusing on that? And, and there was like rules like, oh, it wouldn't be shared with me. I couldn't like just see the whole thing written down. Um, now, that, that's like, um, that was a personal choice at the, at the time. Um, right, I might, I might, that, that might be a bit to cut out, to be fair. But um, let, let, lost my way slightly. I was saying about the sort of in, informality uh, uh, piece. I, we, as I say, we, we didn't really have... The, the weaknesses of, of, of the Wednesday night group staff is basically at some stage, they just say, you're good enough. Here's an instructor, instructorship. And that may be based on a number of factors, including who is giving you that. So some people are more lenient. They're all obviously going to be more lenient to the people that they like the most or the people that are like sort of giving them something in return. So you have this variation in standards. Um, and it's something that we've talked about addressing and I'm trying to help, like I've drafted a syllabus. Um, but with JKD, you do want that level of informality. You do want that garage. So it's like, it's getting the right balance between the two. So in London, um, because we followed the syllabus of my instructor's instructor, um, he had one that goes up to black belt. Now, JKD, Bruce Lee was against traditional martial arts and against gradings and against um, belts. Yeah. So you, some people, like when I posted, like I was given my sort of second degree in terms of like I was, I was given a black belt and like formally recognized for the stuff that I'd, I'd done and we post that online. A guy from the, the East Coast of America kind of was a bit of a troll on, on, on Facebook and kind of said like, you know, there are no belts in JKD that you shouldn't be doing that. And um, in fairness, I think he had a point, but the timing, he, choosing to say that when I've been given this thing, is that's not the time to criticise the use of belts. Well, to, to be fair, uh, they're all trolls on, on social media. So we do currently have a belt system for our JKD in absence of anything better. And what I'm trying to do with this, this syllabus update where I'm kind of helping the Wednesday night group, if should they choose to use it. So it's, it's taken me a great deal of time to pull that together because I've looked at lots of different sources, put everything in a nine rank system, which is the same uh, system as Bruce used. Um, so th there isn't belts as such, but you know, you would know in order to get rank one, these are the criteria that you need to fulfill. Um, what was I gonna say? Uh, yeah, I, I'm marking out what, clearly what, what has to be done for those um, to, uh, to, to, to achieve those things. 
and as I say, we need something to assess someone is improving and, you know, this is the standard they're up to and these are the things they need to know. And at, at the moment, that happens to be a, a sort of a black belt um, rank. Okay. So how many ranks are there? Like, for example, in Kajukembo, in the one that I remember, when I just mentioned, my Kavet, my Kajukembo is different from other people's Kajukembo. Um, in Kajukembo, there is a little bit of bickering sometimes about a person getting a black belt, whatever way that they end up getting a black belt. But at the end of the day, as long as they don't do something crazy, like self-proclaim themselves to be a great grandmaster, uh, not naming any names, but that did happen recently. And everybody was like, well, wait, 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 <laughs> wait. Cause like in our system, we only have one founder. His name was Sijo Adriano Imperato. After he died, he said, there can be no other seizure. I take this title to my grave type of deal. So no one else can have that. And recently uh, someone jumped on and he's like, I'm seizure, Mr. Smith, right? And all of us all kind of looked at each other like, we don't really try not to talk shit about whatever you do, whatever rank you have. The only thing we'll make a big deal about is if you try to take the, the great grandmaster who founded the system who passed away, if you try to take his title, that's the only time that we really make a big deal about anything. But, um, in our system, we pretty much, and the one I, the one that I was taught, and the one that we do, it's it's a white, yellow, orange, uh, purple, purple, blue, green, brown, and then yeah. black. So like, there's eight stages, if you will. How 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 is in your system? How many belts? I guess there are. How many stages? I, I, I don't want to focus on that too much, but I'll, I'll briefly talk to it. So in, in terms of rapid harness one, it, it's, it's white, yellow, green, two blues, two browns, black, and then red. Okay. Um, so red is the instructor belt, but it's also referred to as your senior black. Um, and the reason it's red is one, red is a very important color in the Philippines. So, so in the Philippines flag, there's kind of a red and blue corner. And when they're at war, they flip those up and down. So the red refers to war, the blue refers to peace. So if they're at war, they sort of turn that up, up the other way. And um, most of the martial arts, uh, mo most of the practitioners will wear a sort of red suit. Uh, the, other, the other elements of it was one Pat felt everyone should spill blood for, for their red belt. So hence red. And finally, Pat just thought it'd be funny that if if there was a tournament and his fighters were going up against other people's black belts, and they were like, "This guy's only a red belt," but they didn't realise that actually that's the that's the highest mm -hmm. rank. That might be quite an amusing amusing outcome. Um, so for that system, I think everything is crystal clear. As I say, for the JKD at the moment in JKD London, we follow a. a numerous level system i think it might be as high as 15 yeah. um and the, the future state for the wednesday night group is to have this nine rank system and then you go into the instructor ranks so it's nine student ranks and then instructor ranks and um they start it's basic the, the first three are basic next three are intermediate next three are advanced student and then we have the instructor ranks which um kind of uh, start with this sort of apprentice level and then go to like associate and instructor full instructor and then we're talking about having a sort of professor being at the top level but um in terms of like the name so, so out of respect we'll we'll use the term sifu uh which is 
to indicate that that person is a teacher. And um, in, in the Filipino stuff, they do have ranks like that. Pat was recently promoted to Grandmaster. He used to be Tuhon, which is kind of like the leader of a tribe. Um, so th there, there are these sort of grandiose titles. Bruce Lee was again against the title master because it suggests that you have totally mastered something. You know, it's beyond reproach and you don't need to do any better. Um, so, again, you know, when it comes to titles, it's, it's not a massive thing in JKD. I find in martial arts as a whole, it's obviously full of ego and having these having these grand names for someone, you know, let's one of the biggest problems with martial arts is standards, right? So you might have like a really weak karate system where, you know, we've all seen these videos of black belts who are just absolutely terrible from certain systems doing like terrible kicks and they, they can't even punch. Um, and then you compare them to one of these systems where the instructor basically never, never gives rank. And he's like, look, my, my guys at blue belt are unbelievable. And, it, and, and, and that's probably true, but it's because the standards are all over the place. And I don't ever foresee a time where you can reliably compare one system to another or one art to another. But for want of doing so, it's useful to know someone has a black belt. That, you know, if, that, if that's the gold standard and we say it's black belt equivalent, we kind of understand that person's at the top of that system. Well, BJJ guys would beg to differ. <laughs> as far as not comparing systems. But, but, uh, BJJ is a really interesting example, right? So, oh yeah, uh, BJJ. And if I go pro BJJ, right, it's the volume of people studying it denotes quality. If you have that many people doing something, then you're going to have more high quality practitioners, more high quality instructors. The next thing I think is excellent about BJJ is typically those guys spend more time on the mats and more time sparring. Um, so the more you actively do something, and I, like I, I, I'm guilty of this sometimes, and lo lots of people will say, "Well, I've I've studied martial arts for like 15 years," but there's other people who've done five years. You know, Conor McGregor has done more in one year than I will have done in, in my 15 years of, of, of martial arts. That's just the reality. So, you know, time served isn't a good uh, indicator of quality. And then also it's like, what is what are the quality of those reps? Like, were, were you training with someone who was, you know, with low intensity, with, with a poor training partner who couldn't hold pads, et cetera, et cetera? Or were you training with someone who was better than you and constantly sparring? So BJJ guys, as I say, they're on the ground fighting all the time. Um, now, some BJJ systems, and, and I, I have friends who instruct this, they will give out an instructorship based on when you're ready. So um, it's as long as a piece of string, which I hate. I, I, I really think that's an unfair way of doing things. But one day they will say, you're good enough. I've seen enough of you to say, you're, you're worthy of having a black belt or, or whatever other belt. Other, in, other systems um, have a set criteria. So you, you've fulfilled this criteria. Now, you, now you're getting promoted and you get tested in order to do that. And then you have a final category of systems where it's based on tournament winning. 
and even that has its weaknesses. So, so if if someone gets if someone get in these BJJ systems gets promoted, it's because they've been successful at tournaments. They've beaten all the other blue belts and all the other brown belts and all the other black belts. The trouble with that is, and this, I have this, I'm not an expert in BJJ. I, I get this secondhand from other people talking about BJJ, is that um, you have the equivalent of being a bandit in golf. So people stay at white belt, stay at blue belt, stay at brown belt for too long so that they can accumulate these tournament wins. And then when you go into their school, you see there's trophies everywhere. Well, the trophies come from being abandoned, fighting people that aren't, aren't as good as you. So my, my point simply being that, you know, there is no universal standard in martial arts. You know, we always look for the best person in our town. And if the best person in your town is, studied, is, is teaching a system that maybe you don't particularly buy into, like, like uh, karate, well, you might, you, you still ought to do karate rather than go to maybe the FMA school that has a terrible teacher. Yeah. And again, like when you're talking about the standards, uh, I was joking, by the way, <laughs> I cross trade in BJJ. Um, and that can be a, I've done a completely other, I've done, I've had black belt meetings with other practitioners about that. But um, yeah, I, mean, I, I always joke around about that. Cause like some, I think right now it's all about, I think my instructor, my instructor has been doing martial arts for a really long time. And he was telling me and teaching for a long time. And he told me that in the seventies, um, it was all about karate and then Bruce Lee came on the scene and everybody wanted to do what Bruce Lee was doing. And then in the eighties, it became about kickboxing and karate kind of made a comeback. And then, um, in the nineties, the UFC started and then that's when like, he, so he, he kind of feels like as far as the public eye that, um, there's always kind of a focus or trend. Like there's always like the trendy, the trend, <laughs> the trendy martial art. Right. And that, and that right now I feel BJJ is the one, but um, it's, it's a marketing exercise, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, if you, you know, if I think of someone like Krav Maga, well, Krav Maga is, when, when I see it, you have a lot of people who are essentially like security guards covered in tattoos, very bulky, um, you know, skinheads, they look cool. And, and the, the outfits they'll wear, they'll wear a pair of combat trousers and like, you know, a, a, a cool t-shirt and stuff like that and that is very easy to buy into but equally my experience of, of Krav Maga is often people see it as like sort of a shortcut so they, they're not they're not willing to learn a full-time system they want to go and like have realistic training experiences so for me the, the value of Krav Maga is in the drills but not so much in the technique because the technique is like borrowed from other things. So it's like, you know, when they're doing knees and elbows, that's Muay Thai. Go, go, go. I would go and learn Muay Thai and spend the time in investing into that. Um, that's crab. I think, I think when I, if I go back to BJJ, as I say, a, a BJJ brown belt is of an incredible standard. I, I've never seen a BJJ brown belt that isn't pretty amazing. And I, I am coming that from a guy who isn't amazing at groundwork. So in, to me, like all people who are good at groundwork are probably pretty good. But this, as I say, the, the standards in are, are so high. But when I've trained BJJ, I've been I've been like left frustrated because I've I've gone and said like, why wouldn't I do that? Oh, you're not allowed to do that. And then people will sell it as being like an amazing form of self defense. And my with my JKD filter on, I'm like, well why would 
I'm, I'm training in this gi. Well, that's not going to happen in real life. I'm training with a desire to be on the ground, um, I, I, which, which you know, the ground could have glass all over it. And, you know, that I'm not training for like multi-man scenarios. So, you know, the reality is getting kicked or punched in the head becomes very likely. Um, I, I, I was trained very briefly with a judo guy um, who, who was teaching my instructor and, you know, the guy couldn't punch. Um, and the, the, the thought of be, doing a martial art and not being able to punch is just insane. For I don't care how well you can roll or submit someone, you should be able to punch. Now, equally, there's people like Jocko Willick, who's, you know, Navy SEAL, tough guy, who's a massive fan of... Um, BJJ and his arguments, look, you need to be able to get up off the ground. You need to be able to escape when someone's grabbed hold of you and you ought to be able to like submit someone and that kind of thing. And like, you know, he's far more of a warrior than I am. <laughs> so maybe I shouldn't question it as much, but for me, BJJ isn't that high on my list of things to study. And I, I'd, I'd probably, if I was to fight, study a ground fighting system, albeit it's hard to find over here, I'd probably go for, um, catch wrestling this uh, that, is when I've, I've trained with those guys it's like wow this is like much more realistic and there's a lot less rules <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean um yeah again like i was i was kind of surprised when i when i started getting into bjj and um the guy i trained with didn't know how to punch rudimentary how to punch had no idea how to kick um and coincidentally got into bjj because he liked mma so it was really interesting to see someone who you know when i got his story he's japanese so like when i got his story he got into bjj because he wanted to get into because he liked mma he didn't want to get into it because he was older when he started um he was 38 when he started his bjj journey and um now you know now he's in his 50s but when he started it was because of mma but it was interesting to me that the mindset like you got into this because you liked mma but you never learned how to punch or kick but you felt that BJJ was MMA because what you saw, uh, Helio, was it Helio? I think it was Helio or Rollers. Helio? Helio Gracie, right? He's the one from UFC 1, right? Helio. Is that right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I, I did occasionally watch those old videos where it's like you know, my style versus your style, but I'm, I've, I've only really watched the UFC on a really regular basis since it's become this kind of modern format where everyone's doing vaguely the similar, vaguely the same thing. I'm just going to make sure I didn't fuck up the name here um yeah yeah sorry royce gracie royce gracie royce gracie sorry royce gracie it was royce gracie uh for ufc one that that put vjj on the map it was royce and um but if you look at royce again he had a good mixed background so kind of fast forward the evolution of the art started becoming less striking but one i guess um one question I had for you about, and I know I keep asking you JKD questions because I'm just yeah, curious. Cool. How many how many JKD orgs are there? Um, it's impossible to say. And people apply the term JKD to a lot of things that aren't JKD. Okay. Um, it, just a rough estimate. How's that? We're not going to say like official or unofficial. If you just throw a number out there. I, I, I literally couldn't say. I mean, it, it, essentially, to do to be doing JKD, there should be a lineage up to Bruce Lee. Um, so 
most people will therefore come through Danny Nasanto because he was the mm -hmm. only person that Bruce Lee said, you can teach JKD. And to be fair, he didn't want Dan to teach JKD. He wanted him to focus on his FMA. So that then obviously spills down to lots of different groups. But as I say, people may not have that lineage. They might be like a Crab Maga school and they'll write for, for the sake of drawing more people into their school. But they may reference JKD just like officially from without pissing off too many people <laughs> how many would you say like would you say like are legit how many legit organizations would you say are out there 50 one in 10 <laughs> one in 10 <laughs> okay <laughs> i was gonna say like 50 or 40 but that's it because I, I don't know okay yeah, it, it for, for anyone who's like wondering, I'm at, I'm at a school and they're telling me I'm teaching JKD, but it, I'm not sure whether it is. Okay. Right. First, apply the bullshit filter. So say, does this look like it works? Right. That, that's, that's, your first, that's your first thing. Then do a little bit of research into JKD and the principles. Right. So if it, it, is it simple? Is it direct? And if the things that you're doing are not um, conforming to these principles, you know, is it strong side forward? So we, we fight with our, if, if you are, if you're right-handed, you'll fight with your right side forwards rather than an orthodox stance with your weaker hand forwards, right? So if you compare what you're doing versus this list of principles, does it line up? And then finally, and the reason why I say I would come to this one last, because I don't think it bears true all the time, is watch a Bruce Lee film or two and maybe see whether you move vaguely like, like Bruce Lee. Now, the reason why I say I come to that one last is because one of the things that I, so JKD is about self-expression. It's about making, um, fighting the way that suits you best. What a lot of people want to do when they study JKD is emulate Bruce Lee and fight the way Bruce fights. But if he, he's like a little 140 pound guy who's incredibly athletic. If you're like, you know, 200 pounds, 250, 300 pounds, right? You know, your JKD is going to be very different. You, you will, you know, a big guy is going to crash the line, whereas a small guy is going to dance around their opponent. And if you don't understand those principles and your instructors aren't drawing you towards finding out what works for you, and are telling you, do this, do that, you know, religiously without explaining why, then you should be questioning whether that school is the right place for you. And, and I say that, that you could probably apply a similar approach to different martial arts, but that, that's relatively specific to JKD referencing Bruce and the principles. Yeah, I think that really, that's one of the questions I always ask, usually towards the end of my interviews, like, what do you recommend for someone getting into martial arts and yeah that 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 can be applied to just to any school really <laughs> that can be applied to any school um we're almost close to the wrap up here tom but i, I still want to ask you a few more questions about your journey here uh have you ever competed what did you compete in if you have no i, I no i haven't um and that right so in terms of like the purpose of doing martial arts right people will do martial arts for a different reason. So it may be to compete in the ring and experience that success. It may be to avenge a bullying situation or just to make sure that never happens to them. I think for me it is if, if I saw something 
bad happening in public or if, if for example someone tried to you know rob me at a cash point or whatever it might be that I would be able to absolutely pulverize them and the same as if I saw that attacking a loved one or just someone kind of in the streets about right and wrong and being able to protect myself and not sort of like live in fear or anything like that um so the tournament thing hasn't been a massive driver for me I've been drawn to JKD, which isn't aimed at ring fighting. So, so JKD is a shoe art. So we wear shoes. And if, if for example, you're wearing like a military style boot or um, you know, hard soled shoes, when we're doing like a snap kick, you know, kick to like a knee joint, we're, we're trying to break that joint. Um, so the aim for us is to end a fight as quickly as possible. So in a, in a kind of tournament, um, scenario ending things as quick as possible is a rarity you know like McGregor on Aldo it doesn't happen very often so it doesn't JKD doesn't lend itself to being a tournament fighting you know once you add gloves and protective equipment it doesn't have quite the same effect as it might do in the street um, with the FMA as I say there, are, there, there there's a tournament format out there that exists which we, which we elaborated on before um, but you know, again, for my purposes, well, am I looking to like win a medal in one of these tournaments, or am I looking to make sure that if someone does draw a knife on me, that I could deal with that? Well, it's more down down that angle. Like I like doing weapons based work, but in in U, in the UK, it's I can't carry a knife. Um, certainly can't um, carry a gun or get my hands on a gun. So so really, I'm 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 trying to work those defensive attributes. Um, obviously I enjoy, I enjoy it. And, you know, we do a lot of like stick and knife sparring. So we'll do, I guess what we do most is a padded stick rather than a live stick and body armor. We do no armor with a padded stick and a fencing helmet. Um, so you get some really tasty bruises, uh, from, from, from sparring. Um, and, but yeah, you're, you're getting that realistic simulation of feeling like, you know, this, this blunt padded stick or uh, uh, for stabbing or a stick hitting you. Okay. So, so you, anyway, that, uh, that's, uh, it's, it's different. People have different paths, right? Like they, like you mentioned earlier, 100%. Some, some people get into martial arts. They're more about combatives and that's all they want to do is combatives. They only want to deal with knife and, and gun and weapons. Some people get into it for the beauty of it and they get into something like Kung Fu and they, they love the katas and, and some people get into it because they really want to compete. And that's all they want to do is they either want to do like something like MMA or, or they want to do a lot of no gear or whatever that is. So, and again, it's, it's not to say that there, I don't put value on which path people take. Um, I, I've, I've gone just about everywhere when in my path, but I, what I would like to see more, more, what I'd like to see less of is people coming from different styles, criticizing other people's journeys. Cause I think that's bullshit. Cause like, if, if anything, there's not that many martial artists in the general population. I was talking about this in my last podcast that I'm going to release pretty soon with uh, sensei Tom Bowers. Um, and the idea is that we're our martial artists. And if we can focus on that point more than the other stuff that divides us, like whether or not we agree with the way something's being taught or not there's more to unify us and divide us and there's not that many of us in general like when you, when you look yeah. at it um but yeah i think that that pretty much answers my question i guess 
I was just going to say, I think, you know, and I, I, it may sound like I've been critical of Crab Magar or BJJ. <laughs> I'm, I'm, also, I'm, I'm also trying to be balanced and say, you know, look, the, the Crab Magar guy is, is doing a lot of real world drills. You know, um, Hackleman was referring to Hicks law in terms of like your ability to perform gross motor movement is going to be far better in a fighting scenario than sort of like, you know, minute level skill um, on your podcast. And, you know, those guys are focusing on those things. Someone swings a knife or a bat at you or, and they get a lot of real world, you know, multi-man scenarios, weapons, et cetera, et cetera. That for me is the, 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 the real strength of crab. BJJ, it's about the, um, the volume of training they're doing, the quality of the teaching, the quality of the opponent. Um, and, you know, I, I, have be, I have said, I don't think it's the most realistic in terms of like real world fighting, which, would go back to the craft point you know jkd the formality the informality is is great um but you know in my jkd we we rarely use weapons we rarely did groundwork so so i had these two big gaps in my um skill set with the fma it's like it's maybe more realistic for the philippines where every single person carries a knife like and and you know there's a lot of those um my uh kind of micro i think i forget the right term for it but like the the, the kind of small level of skills like locking etc you can do some really impressive flowery stuff when the pressure's off but are you going to be able to do that in a you know high intensity thing when there's a few guys attacking you with weapons so probably not yeah i think again it's, it's a personal journey thing like i think one of the things that i see i'm not married to any ideas it either works or it doesn't. And I think that was one of the things that I respected a lot when I was re reading the JKD book was the idea, if it works, keep it. If it doesn't, don't. It's really that simple. And I, I don't care what style. Uh, if I see something that I like, I'll keep it. If I, I see something that I don't like, it doesn't work for me. Um, maybe I'll keep it in my back pocket because maybe it'll work for someone else that I'm teaching down the line. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of stuff I throw out. I throw away out of my own system that later get brought back to me. Like I threw out the idea of using staff training. I was like, you know what? Honestly, I don't like using a bow staff. It's not really my thing. I'm going to, I'll, I'll, I'll practice it once a week. I'll do the kata once a week just so it's there. So I have the basics, but I'm honestly not going to focus on it. And then yeah. recently I had a student who told me, <laughs> he told me, I don't, I don't want to sound like a LARPer. I know I heard you talking about LARPers and I don't want to sound like one, but I really want to learn how to use a bow staff. And I hope you're... So he essentially felt like I was going to shame him for him wanting to use a staff. And I was like, hey, I'm not trying to shame you. If you want to learn staff basics, I know some. And that's why I kept, I'm glad I kept it in my back pocket. I personally didn't work for me. I didn't like it for myself, but I'm glad I kept it in my back pocket because a student did ask me for it. And now I have something I can show him. So. One of the important things for me about martial arts is you're keeping a sense of play into your later years. So I'm meeting up with all my friends and we're kind of fighting each other, right? And then at the end, it's kind of, you, you're always like, thanks, man. And it does, it, it builds a certain bond. And I think like when you get into adult life, you don't do enough fun um, play kind of things. And provided you're open about, I am doing this bit of skill like the bow staff bit, because I enjoy it, right? It doesn't have, not everything has to be about being the most effective deadly weapon 
um, uh, that you can possibly be. There, there, there is something to be said from doing something just for the pure enjoyment or the skill art of it. Just don't get those things confused with being an amazing fighter. Yeah, yeah. So we're almost done here. Uh, I have a uh, again in honor of your podcast. I have a I have I don't have that many quick fire questions, but I do have one. I have two. Top eighties, top three eighties action movies. Because you told me that you really liked eighties action movies earlier, so I now I'm dying to know. What are your top three 80s martial arts movies? I'd have to do martial arts. Um, I'm not so good on the martial arts films. Oh, we, we, we can do action. We can do action then. Top three 80s action. Um, I'm going to go with Aliens, Terminator 2, but I know that's like something like 91, so that's kind of cheating. So maybe I'll go for the Terminator. Okay. Um, what other ones? Thinking of things like Total Recall and stuff like that, but... Uh, I don't know, struggling. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure, not sure. We could do 90s, we can go in the 90s. Um, I'm trying to think what things am I always watching? Uh, You're only missing one. Is it Aliens, Terminator 2? Uh, you have to cut this out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Top Gun. Let's go. Top, Top Gun. Gun. Okay. Top Gun. <laughs> Top Gun. All right. Um, before I ask you the next quick fire question, do you keep up with comic books at all? No. Not at all. Okay. No. All right. So that that eliminates. That elim- I would say about my 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 view on on sort of those sort of fantasy characters is they must be grounded in reality. So I've never okay. been interested in a Superman. Okay. He has just too much uh, powers. Okay. Oh. The regular guy. Okay. All right. So you know, you, you know enough. It's not. If I asked you a question, you would you would at least know the characters I'm talking about. So I guess. Um. All right. Batman versus Batman. And Batman Bat, Bat, okay. Cool. Batman versus Punisher. Who wins? Batman. Why? Because he's got more kit. <laughs> right. Good. 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 Okay. <laughs> All right, good. All right, yeah. And that that's that those are my quick fire questions. Um Tom, where if people want to well, I know we have the whole covid thing, but we'll, we'll throw that to the side. In in a regular world, uh after this is after this shit is over with, where do people where can people find you on or do you want people to find you on social media? I guess is the first question. Are yeah. you that? Um, so if, if anyone does want to reach me, it's Tom McGrath on Facebook or um, Instagram. In terms of the podcast, I thought I'll, I'll talk briefly about the podcast. So um, if you're listening to this, you probably like martial arts. We, we've done 100 shows um, and our podcast is called Primal Radio. Me and a guy called Jim McCann. Jim McCann suffers from bipolar and... Uh, when COVID broke out, he kind of went off the radar. And I, I frankly haven't spoken to him since March, which is frustrating because I, I don't really know what's going on with him. I, I carried on doing the show, but it has lost its momentum. But, you know, there's a hundred great episodes there. Uh, I may come back to doing more. I've had some discussions with one of our guests, Art Kaysen, off the show about doing another podcast, which, which might have a bit more of a kind of combatives element. And... Um, yeah, please check those out. And we do have a website at the moment, which is primalradio.net as well. All right, cool. If people want to 
trained? Do you, are you, you said you're, you're teaching, right? I'm you, not, I'm not at the moment. So, so okay. just glancing back to your, your podcast and you said at the end how, you know, once you're a black belt, you have a kind of obligation to be, you know, don't stop your journey there. And I kind of promised myself I never would, but in a way I have, and, and to expand upon that. So, um, in tw April 2019, so not that long ago, I joined the army reserves over here. And that's become such a big part of my life that it's kind of taken over a bit from the martial arts. That's not to say that I'm not coming back to the martial arts. It's not to say that I never do anything, but in terms of my intensity, which was like training all the time, my, my training has, has gone towards the army stuff. So I have certain goals and ambitions that I want to achieve in that world. And I guess I also maybe started to question a bit with, with the purpose of martial arts, going back to that point of like, if I have these powers, if you will, you know, you, you talked about people's Spider-Man powers and origin stories <laughs> and things like that, to not use those for like a greater good. And if I feel that I am in some way a warrior, which I think it, most martial artists do, should I be using that, you know, to, to a larger extent, whether that be military, police or something like that. So, um, I've joined at a relatively old age. My, most of my colleagues are younger than me and I've been training, you know, real hard in terms of like the mileage I'm putting on the clock with, you know, carrying like 20 kilos or more and um, yeah, try, trying to achieve certain things. So martial arts wise, I haven't been doing that much. And right, right now over here in the UK, thanks to COVID lockdown, all the gyms are closed and, you know, really training's become... I won't say an impossibility, but certainly training with others is an impossibility right now. But um, yeah, I will be back uh, picking up those sticks, knives and boxing gloves in the All not right. future. I'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> There's a call back there. All right. Well, again, for my listeners, definitely check out his Primal Radio podcast. It's an awesome podcast. It's how I came across Tom. A lot of great martial arts journey stories there. Um We'll do the wrap-up now. This is Social Jilla with Angelo. If you like the show, please subscribe. If you're hearing this from TuneIn Radio, FM Radio, I don't know, the thousands of radio stations that have pirated my show, please just jump off whatever app you're listening to. Jump on YouTube and subscribe. That's the best way you can support the show. Um, anything you want to... Any final, final thoughts? Jerry Springer, final thoughts? Uh, I was just going to say... <laughs> Keep doing this, Angelo. Like I've I've gone through it myself in terms of like the, the amount of time it eats up, booking guests. Sometimes they bail on you, writing show notes, editing the podcast could kill. Sometimes it take me like ten hours because I say um and ah a lot, so I always want to cut that stuff out. And you know I've got a lot of respect for what you're doing because I've done it myself and it's a good show. So you know people keep listening, keep supporting, and you know ho hopefully you'll grow in a way that you know. We, we always intended to on Primal Radio. Well, that's much appreciated, Tom. All right, y'all. You have a great one, and I'll catch you all later. Peace. <laughs>